I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. If it's Tuesday, it must be time for another Notorious Bakersfield story. Welcome to the 16th episode. I hope everyone had a great week. I had a busy week putting together this episode and also working on the upcoming Halloween tour. Speaking of the Halloween tour, it's coming together great. I'm really excited about it. You'll hear a promo for that later in this episode. Remember to subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app. You can find... Notorious Bakersfield on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where pictures related to each story will be uploaded. Now, let's get to the subject of this episode. 76-year-old William Compton was killed in his Oleander neighborhood home in 1993. Christopher Lightsey was eventually arrested and convicted for Compton's murder. Before I started researching this case, I didn't remember much about it. What I do remember, what does stand out most in my mind, is the picture of Christopher Lightsey in court wearing a makeshift muzzle because of his outrageous behavior, his disruptions and outbursts. The judge ordered him to be muzzled. After reading up on this case, I was really surprised that the Kern County DA was able to win a guilty verdict from a jury. I have no doubt Lightsey is guilty. None. He's an awful and dangerous criminal, but I'm surprised he was convicted for two reasons. Number one, the initial Bakersfield police officers and Kern County coroner personnel who investigated the murder screwed up big like huge. When you learn about that, I have no doubt you'll be shocked too. The second reason, the chain of events that led up to Lightsey becoming a prime suspect in Compton's murder is complicated as hell. The prosecution team for the district attorney's office should be commended. For them to be able to explain how all the evidence in the case unquestionably tied Lightsey to this murder was an an easy feat, I'm sure. William Compton was a 76-year-old living alone in his home in the 400 block of Holtby Road in the Oleander neighborhood of Bakersfield. He had a couple of hobbies that kept him busy. He was a huge gun enthusiast. He owned an extensive collection of both handguns and rifles, in addition to equipment and materials related to firearms, ammunition, and tools to maintain the guns. He kept meticulous records of his gun collection. In a notebook, he inventoried each gun he purchased, the serial numbers, who he purchased each one from, and he kept the receipts for each transaction. He did this for the firearms that he both sold and bought. His other hobby was ham radios. One bedroom in his house on Holtby Road was dedicated to ham radios, and his RV parked in front of the house also stored ham radio equipment. He was really into radios. 
He was also into electronics. Compton liked household electrical gadgets, VCRs, video cameras. You get the picture. In the late spring of 1993, Compton was diagnosed with cancer. This sent him into a depression, but nonetheless, he followed through with the treatment plan his doctors prescribed. He'd already received three rounds of treatment. On July 7, 1993, a couple of Compton's friends tried calling him, but he didn't answer the phone. One of the friends, his name was George, called Compton's doctor's office to see if they'd heard from him. They hadn't, and that was unusual. He had an appointment for his fourth treatment earlier in the day, and he was a no-show. George, George's wife, and another friend went over to Compton's house. The trio checked all the doors, and they were all locked. George's wife looked through a bedroom window and saw the elderly man's body on the floor. The view was obscured, but she could tell it was a body, face up, wearing only underwear. They called 911. The Bakersfield Fire Department arrived and forced entry into Compton's residence. William Compton was deceased at 76 years of age. There was a lot of blood on and around Compton's body, but it wasn't an overly gruesome scene. Bakersfield police officers arrived. They checked the house for signs of forced entry. The only evidence of forced entry was from the fire department when they gained access to the house. No other forced entry. During their cursory search of the house, police discovered Compton's wallet and his pants that were hanging in the bathroom. The wallet contained some cash. They also took note of all the electronics throughout the house, the VCRs, the ham radios, a lot of valuable stuff that was still there. Because it didn't look like anything had been stolen, police quickly determined there hadn't been a robbery. Investigators at the scene, both police department detectives and an assistant with the coroner's office, determined that the wounds on Compton's body were stab wounds consistent with multiple self-inflicted stab wounds. Taking into account the elderly man's depression caused by his recent cancer diagnosis, they made a preliminary determination that William Compton committed suicide. But multiple stab wounds, the investigators determined most were shallow, non-fatal puncture wounds, hesitation wounds is what they called it, caused by a person struggling to make the final decision to follow through with suicide. It's not that uncommon, especially when someone's means of suicide is stabbing themselves to death. The body was removed from the home by the coroner's office, and the scene wasn't fully processed to preserve forensic evidence. That evening, the coroner's office notified William Compton's sister-in-law, Margaret, of his death. The next day, July 8th, Margaret went to the coroner's office to get the keys to Compton's house and vehicles. The coroner's assistant advised Margaret that she should secure Compton's belongings and vehicles before potential burglars learned of his death. She and her son then went to the house and removed a number of items, five firearms, a ceremonial sword, a telephone answering machine, a television, a video cassette recorder, a computer, a ham radio, locksmith equipment, a number of power tools. They also took the notebook that contained the inventory and records of Compton's gun collection. Then on July 9th, two days after his death, the coroner started conducting William Compton's autopsy. As soon as the blood had been washed away, 
it became apparent this was not a suicide. It was undeniably a homicide. There were a total of 42 wounds, stab wounds. They were grouped in three clusters in the abdomen, on his neck, and upper chest. He also had wounds on his face and one more stab wound in his right armpit. Two of the wounds in the chest had penetrated his heart, and the wounds to his neck had severed his jugular vein. The wounds appeared to have been inflicted by a single weapon approximately half inch wide and at least five inches long. The weapon might have been a letter opener, a screwdriver, or non-serrated metal file. The infliction of these wounds would have, been, would have caused extreme physical pain and suffering. Compton also suffered some superficial abrasions and bruising on his forehead, face, and chin that appeared to be slightly older than the stab wounds, but still fairly fresh. These injuries were consistent with blunt trauma, such as being punched with a fist or falling and hitting something. He was stabbed 42 times, and the initial police investigators thought he committed suicide. If you're the type of person who gets into the Halloween spirit and you're looking for a frightening good time, the Notorious Bakersfield Halloween Tour is for you. It will be a self-paced audio driving tour to some of Bakersfield's long-forgotten crime scenes, spooky locations, and purported haunted sites. The tour will be concentrated in the Oleander and Westchester neighborhoods and downtown Bakersfield. At each location, I will tell you the spooky, scary, creepy story regarding each point of interest. You'll be able to enjoy this tour from the comfort and safety of your vehicle. All you'll need is a car, of course, a smartphone, Google Maps, and ideally a connection to a Bluetooth speaker. The tour will be available for purchase beginning October 1st and will run through the entire month until Halloween. If you'd like to be notified as soon as this tour is available, email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. And remember to put Halloween in the subject line. This Halloween tour will send a chill down your spine you won't forget. Due to the graphic subject matter, this tour is not recommended for anyone under 18 years of age. After the coroner determined Compton's death was a homicide and not a suicide, the police had Margaret Compton return the items she and her son removed from the house. Detectives also did a more thorough search of the house, but did not conduct a full forensic examination because they considered the crime scene to have been contaminated. Once police got the notebook back from Margaret Compton, the notebook that contained Compton's inventory of his gun collection, investigators were able to determine which guns were missing from his home. Detectives entered the serial numbers of the missing firearms into a computerized database for stolen property. And that's how police were able to identify a suspect. On August 17, 1993, over a month after Compton's murder, detectives learned that a rifle belonging to the dead man had been pawned at a local pawn shop. And this is where things get complicated, so I'm, I'll make it as simple as possible. 
police tracked down and arrested the guy who pawned the rifle. That guy says he got the rifle from a guy named Brian Ray. So police tracked down Ray, serve a search warrant on his residence, and bingo, this Ray guy has 17 firearms that belong to Compton. Police arrest Ray and charge him with Compton's murder and possession of stolen property. Ray decides to cooperate with police. He tells investigators that he didn't steal the guns. A guy named Christopher Lightsey gave him the guns to store at his house because this Lightsey guy was scheduled to go to prison for child molestation. Who is this Christopher Lightsey? He had a checkered past. In 1976, he was convicted of narcotics charges. Ten years later, another narcotics conviction, convicted for possessing cocaine. Then in 1989, he was arrested for fondling eight students at Our Lady of Guadalupe School, where he worked as a substitute teacher. Eight students. Then that same year, the daughter of a lady he was dating accused him of inappropriate touching. Get this. All those charges were dropped. All of those eight students, the charges from the eight students were dropped. Then, in 1993, Lightsey was accused and charged with touching two separate girls, a four-year-old neighbor girl and a 10-year-old daughter of a different girlfriend he was dating. Lightsey was out on bail and had a court hearing for those charges on the morning of July 7, 1993, the day William Compton was murdered. Lightsey later pleaded no contest to the molestation charges and was sentenced to three years in prison. So he knew he was going to prison for a few years, and that's why he needed someone to keep Compton's stolen gun collection safe for him. You may have noticed Notorious Bakersfield has a new logo. If you haven't noticed, go check it out. I'm really happy with it. And it's all because of Mike Neiman. For 25 plus years, Mike Neiman has worked hard in the world of graphic design for print media. He has grown his small studio by word of mouth to emerge as a premier graphic design studio in Bakersfield and beyond. With designs for Notorious Bakersfield, Taft City logo rebranding, social media influencers, businesses, and charities both locally and far away. Mike Neiman Graphic Design has built a reputation for caring for his clients. He makes sure they have the designs and print materials that set them apart from their competitors. Find him on Facebook at MN Graphic Design for all contact information and to see some of his graphic design solutions. Remember, I mentioned that Lightsey was in court for a bail hearing regarding his molestation charges on the morning William Compton was murdered. That was Lightsey's best defense. How could I kill the old man when I was right here in this courthouse while he was being murdered? But the prosecution was able to establish that Lightsey has sufficient time after the court hearing to kill Compton. The coroner determined Compton died around 11 a.m. July 7th. The records for Lightsey's bail hearing are vague about what time his hearing ended. There's nothing documenting, documenting exactly what time it ended. But through testimony from witnesses present at the hearing, the prosecutors were able to establish the hearing ended between 9.30 and 10 a.m., plenty of time to commit the murder. 
There was other evidence linking Lightsey to the murder. His sister gave police two video cameras and some videotapes Lightsey was storing at her house while he was in prison on the molestation charges. The serial numbers for the video cameras matched the serial numbers on the boxes for the cameras police found at Compton's house. Also, those videotapes contain footage recorded of Compton sometime before his death. In 1995, Christopher Lightsey was tried and convicted for the murder of William Compton. If it hadn't been for the meticulous records William Compton kept for his gun collection, I doubt Christopher Lightsey would have ever been arrested or convicted. It's not often that the victim solves their own murder. During the sentencing hearing, Lightsey's behavior was off the rails. He continued to interrupt and talk over the judges, the, his attorneys, the prosecutors. It became so bad, the judge ordered the bailiffs to muzzle the convicted murderer. And that's how I remember Christopher Lightsey. Those front page pictures muzzled with duct tape wrapped around his head and face with him flipping off his attorney. Henry Barrios is the Californian photographer who captured that moment in the courtroom of, of, of uh, Christopher Lightsey with the muzzle on. If those photographs didn't win some kind of journalism award, um, Henry Barrios was robbed. Because that's why I remember most about this case. I don't remember the victim's name. I didn't remember Lightsey's name. But I remembered those photographs. Lightsey was eventually sentenced to death for the murder of William Compton. There have been numerous hearings and at least one trial to determine whether he was competent during his 1995 trial. The opinions of mental health experts, his attorneys who represented him, have been mixed. At the last trial in 2015, the jury con concluded that Lightsey was indeed competent. I'd like to add here, Christopher Lightsey is the only person of interest police have named in the 1990 kidnapping and murder of four-year-old Jessica Martinez. I'll be covering that story for the next Notorious Bakersfield episode, so look for that next Tuesday. Resources used for researching the story, the Bakersfield Californian, the Los Angeles Times, KGT-TV News, CaseLaw.com, People versus Lightsey. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'll be back next week to tell you another Notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, take care and see you next week.